The American Truck Driver Podcast, Episode 30. Welcome to the American Truck Driver Podcast, episode 30. I want to talk about driver value in this show. It's been something that's been on my mind um, for a while, and I'll uh, give you the background about how I got to um, that topic. Um, First, I want to make a couple of announcements. I now have a Patreon page. Um, It's patreon.com slash Driver. Um, anyone that would like to support the show, there's different levels of support that you can give there. You can give a one-time donation or you can give a monthly donation uh, at patreon.com slash Driver. Um, you can find me on Facebook and uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, An American Truck Driver, and uh, send me emails if you have any questions, Driver at gmail.com. I am working on a book, um, and I would like to, it's something I want to give away for free. Uh, I hope to have that done here in the next uh, few weeks, by the end of October at the latest. Um, and I'll tell you how this started. It, it's been something that's been on my mind for a while, but I didn't really have a starting place. I kind of had failure to launch. And I stumbled across a video, and I may have mentioned this before. Uh, It was a lecture given by a guy named Steve Vaselli. I was doing research on uh, the origin of the authority, uh, where that came from, the Interstate Commerce Commission. So I was digging around on YouTube and and searching Google and reading Wikipedia articles. And I stumbled across this guy's uh, lecture that he gave at a college. And once I heard him start talking, I remembered that I had heard of the book, and it's called The Big Rig, uh, Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream. Uh, This guy's a sociologist who was interested in the relationship, I guess, between labor and business. Um, And so he somehow decided to pick trucking. So he got a CDL he drove for four months and I guess now he's going to tell us everything that's wrong with our industry so I bought his book and I've been going through it and I'm I'd like to do some videos breaking down the book and the claims that he makes the bad part is that there are some of the claims that he makes that are true they're 
at least they're not completely false. A little exaggerated. Um, yes. But this business is not easy. It, it takes a certain skill set. It takes a certain mindset to accept the lifestyle that comes with a job because this is not uh, an industry where you just, you know, you go to work and you come home at the end of the day. This is, um, you know, we live in these trucks. And, you know, so you're going to live at work for weeks at a time. Uh, you know, it affects your lifestyle. Well, you're not ready for that. You, you jump into this business, whether you think it's an easy way to make money or, you know, you don't have anything better to do. Uh, maybe you were sent down this path at, you know, an unemployment office, uh, a government program to help someone find work, and they ended up in this business. Um, and so there are a lot of people that come in here and really struggle, and they don't last. And I honestly believe that a lot of the reason that they don't last is because they're not prepared and we don't do a good job of preparing them. Now, Mr. Vaselli makes a lot of claims in his book that are kind of outlandish and out of context. He picks on big companies and, you know, we can all pick on big companies. But so far, I'm not done with his book, so I'll reserve complete judgment until I'm done. But so far, it seems like he's focusing all of his energy on 10% of the industry. 90% of this industry is companies of six trucks or less. So that includes all the owner-operators. That includes all the small carriers and, and small independent owner-operators, the, you know, the small fleets. Um, and then, you know, all the giant companies, Swift and Schneider and J.B. Hunt and U.S. Express, they're all, they're a tiny percentage. But because they have such brand recognition, and it's easy to see, oh, that's a U.S. Express truck, that's a Schneider truck, that's a Swift truck. Because they're visible, I think we give them more market share than they actually deserve. Now, I'm going to say real clear, I, I'm not mad at big companies. I don't, you know, I don't think they should be shut down. I don't think they should have heavy regulations put on them. Um, I do kind of feel like they have a responsibility because we as an industry have transferred the responsibility to train and bring in new drivers to them, right? Because most of your small carriers are not going to take a driver from zero and train them up. I kind of wish that's the way we would do it. I wish that that larger segment of the industry, people that have two, four, five, six, ten, twenty-five trucks, but I don't know if it's risk of capital. They're worried about, you know, rookies tearing up their equipment. I don't know if it's, you know, it's insurance, you know, um, and it's something I want to dig into, and I'd like to hear some responses from people, and I, I want to try to find some fleet owners to interview and talk about this issue, okay? So if we are going to transfer that responsibility to bring in new drivers and train them onto the big companies, well, then we should hold them accountable. We should make sure they're doing a good job because they do all the training, but they don't have the highest rate of pay you're going to find your better rates of pay at smaller companies. 
doing either specialized work um, or, you know, even, I mean, I'm, I'm basically pulling a drive in and I'm making better money as a company driver than I've ever made in my life. Um, so people come into this industry clueless. They, they really, I didn't know what I was getting into. I, in 1997, clueless doesn't even begin to describe how lost I was. So if we don't give people accurate information when they're making that choice to go to truck driving school before they ever get behind the wheel, you know, we want to focus on, okay, get them behind the wheel, teach them how to back, teach them how to trip plan, teach them how to maneuver the truck, teach them how to pick up and deliver loads. Well, I mean, yes, that's important. But if you don't understand all of those little things that you need to know how to survive and succeed out on your own with no one holding your hand, and, and if people aren't prepared for that, they're going to come in, they're going to go, what did I get into? What am I doing? I'm out. And then they quit. Now, another claim that's made in the, the Big Rig book is he kind of treats it like it's some kind of slavery, and I think that's taking it a little bit too far. Because show me another industry where you can have no experience, no knowledge, no skill, and you can go take a four-week course, go to a company, that company will train you on their at their expense, and then if you just stay with that company for a year, they'll cover the cost of your school. So you're talking about a, about a 14 to 15 month process to go from zero, no experience, no knowledge, to having one year of experience, whereas if you've got one year of experience, a clean CSA score, and a clean driving record, name your price. You can go anywhere and do anything if you have that one year of experience, a good CSA score, and your safety record's clean, you haven't torn anything up. Show me another industry where you can do that. Now, he... Uh, and I don't understand why it's bad. If if you go to work for someone and they'll offer to pay for your schooling, how is that bad? Um, that happens with doctors. You know, do doctors will go to to work for places, or they'll join the military, and they'll say if you are willing to uh, to work for us for a certain amount of time, we'll cover the cost of your schooling. So I don't really understand um, why that why that's a problem. Uh, I, well, I guess it's a problem because people come in and they don't stay the year and then they bail and somehow that's the carrier's fault. Now, being totally transparent and honest, when I first entered this industry, I jumped around a lot. I went from company to company to company looking for greener grass and turns out greener the grass is greener because it's fertilized with manure. I now believe, after 20 years in this business, that a person can go to any company. Doesn't matter, and I'm talking about the big companies here. Schneider, J.B. Hunt, uh, U.S. Express, Covenant, Swift, Transport America, USA Truck, doesn't matter. If you go 
with the right attitude and a willingness to learn and a, and a work ethic, you can be successful anywhere. But if you have a bad attitude and you don't have a strong work ethic and you're not willing to learn, well, then you're going to go to a company and you're going to struggle and then you're going to say, oh, well, it's the company's fault. I need to go find a different company. No, you're, it's your fault. It, you're the problem. So I wanted to write this book and put it together so that I can explain some of those things, some of those things that after you've been in the industry 5 or 10 or 20 years, well, it's just second nature to you. Um, I'll give you a real-life example. So I'm doing a dedicated run now uh, that has 12 to 14 stops a week. And the, uh, the shipping coordinator at the customer, he arranges the order of the stops. And sometimes I rearrange them um, based on, you know, a linear progression. Uh, well, this week, I couldn't reorder them because they had put... You know, I was going to do like stop one, stop two, stop five, then stop three, and then stop four because it was in a straight line, and it would have saved me time. And uh, But they had taken that product that I wanted to get off first, and it was buried behind a bunch of other stuff. So I kind of had to bounce around central Pennsylvania, and uh, I had uh, two stops over around Philadelphia, Wilmington. And so I'm on my way toward the Philadelphia stop, and it's one piece. I mean, it'll literally take, I mean, I won't even back into the dock. I'll open the trailer doors, I'll grab the product and carry it inside and be done. But I had the next stop that, that I thought, okay, well, I'll take this one stop, then I won't be able to get to the next one today, which is in Delaware, and it's got like 70 pieces. So it's like an hour-long stop. And I thought, well, I'll have to do that first thing in the morning. Well, as I'm driving, I just made this snap decision. I came up to an intersection that I knew went to Wilmington, Delaware, and I'm going east on 30. And I made an instantaneous calculation. You know what? I'm going to go to Delaware first. And I turned, and I went down there. Well, I ended up, because I did that, it's going to save me two hours tomorrow and may get me home more than 12 hours earlier than what I had planned. Split-second decision. That comes with experience. The, you know, an experienced driver. Um, I, like, I am, all of my friends, I'm their personal GPS. You know, well, how do I get from here to there? And I'm like, oh, well, take, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40. And I just rattle off the, the, uh, the, the, the route numbers. My wife, when we first got married drove to Myrtle Beach with a friend of hers and it was just the two of them and so so they went to Myrtle Beach um, to visit a friend and they're coming back now this is 2004 so you know nobody had GPS really you know we didn't have smartphones like we do now and so she calls me and she's like hey we're lost and, and I said well where are you and, of course, she's like, well, if I knew where I was, I wouldn't be lost. Now, would I? Excellent point. 
And so I pull up this picture in my mind of South Carolina. And I start asking these questions about landmarks. And somehow I figure out where she's at and I say, no, you're good. You keep going west for a little ways, maybe another 15 or 20 minutes, and you'll find the road that you want to be on. And sure enough, they get back on the road. Now, today, if my wife goes somewhere and gets lost, well, I'll just pull up her location on my phone and I'll say, okay, well, well, look out your right window. See that street? That's the one you need to take. There's no way to teach that. It only comes through experience. So there's so much of this job that if you can't get through the stress of learning those things that, that become second nature, well, yeah, you're going to get fed up and tired and quit. And, you know, look, it's a lot easier now than it ever has been. You know, uh, I, I hear people talking about the good old days, and I'm like, no, y'all can take the good old days and shove them. I have absolutely no desire to go back to the good old days. Um, I like my GPS. I like my satellite communications. I like my phone. I like my audio books. Uh, I like my satellite radio. I like my cell phone. No, 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 no. We're not going back to the good old days. So this project is solely to help people make the decision whether or not they really want to come into this business. Um, and then I'd like to do a training program beyond that. It'll take a lot more infrastructure, but I, I'd kind of like to set up a training program that someone, like a course, a video course that they could take before they even go to truck driving school. Um, you know, I'd really like to, to try to do some stuff like that. Um, so, driver value. As I said today, um, I'm making about $90,000 just to drive in this market. Now, granted, this market's up. I get paid on percentage. So, when the market's up, I'm up. Um, but based on what I've learned just in the last year alone, you know, having come through losing my truck and going home and working a real job, um, and then coming back into this new situation and and running the market the way I would as an owner operator. I have the same mindset as an owner operator, even though I don't own the truck. I'm still watching rates. I'm, I'm trying to squeeze as much money into every mile that this truck runs, not only for my uh, owner's benefit, but for my benefit. So number one, you need to get on a percentage contract. Um, there's no way anybody will ever convince me ever again to drive for mileage pay. Not going to do it. Um, When, you know, when the truck's not doing good, I'm not either, okay? But there's my incentive. My incentive is to understand the market, understand the market condition, understand rates and lanes, understand what markets are hot and what markets are not. I was going to Texas when Texas was hot, and then I started avoiding Texas like the plague. But, but that's Texas. It goes in these wild swings up and down, and it's really hot, and then it sucks, and then it's hot, and then it sucks. So I mainly run the East Coast. 
Now, a lot of guys don't like, and I don't personal preference. If I had my preference and I could do anything I want, I'd pick up a load on the East Coast, go to the West Coast, turn around and come back because it's easier as a driver. I'd much rather drive 600 miles a day uh, until I run out of hours and not ever have to hit a dock. But there's not really any money in that. Um, because you can go out to the West Coast for a great rate, but you're not really going to come back for a great rate. So you might get, you know, seven, eight thousand dollars going out, but you might come back for three or four thousand dollars. Well, I can do ten thousand a week running between Michigan and South Carolina, zipping past the house every day. It's more difficult because I have to I have to unload and reload every single day, running five loads a week. So it's there's more. Um, action in it, but I like the money. I'm out. I'm out here to make money. I've moved beyond. You know, I'm a boy. I like trucks. That's fine. But if it wasn't for the money, I wouldn't be out here. So, my original premise was a good quality driver is worth a minimum of $75,000 a year. Now, I took some notes here on what I believe a good driver is. A good driver is safe. A good driver is courteous. That includes not running through the parking lot at 35 miles an hour. That includes when someone is backing up and has their four ways on, you sit and wait patiently for them to complete their maneuver before you zip past them because you're in such a damn hurry to go nowhere. A good driver is patient. A good driver understands their equipment. Now, I don't think a good driver necessarily needs to be able to work on the truck. Okay, that, that's too much. But, you should understand what your air compressor is and where it's at. You should understand your tires and your wheel bearings and your brakes and, and be able to identify these things. Some of them you should be able to identify because you're post-trip. But, there's a lot of this stuff that you can help yourself stay on the road making money if you understand the equipment that you're driving. And so when you're making that phone call, hey boss, something's messed up on this truck. Well, what is it? I don't know. It's squeaking. You know, well, is it a wheel bearing? Is it a clutch? Is it a U-joint? Uh, is it brakes? Are the tires wearing funny? A good driver needs to understand the equipment that they're operating. Um, a good driver does proper pre-trips and understands um, how to keep their equipment on the road by making sure that you know all their lights are working. That keeps you out of the chicken house. Uh, number one thing that's going to get you pulled in a scale house is a light out. Uh, a good driver respects customers. This includes the unrespectable customers. Um, a good driver should own their yes and own their no. That's important because especially if, if you're working with a, with a dispatcher or a fleet manager or whatever it is, they need, over the time that you build your relationship with this person, they need to know that your yes is yes and your no is no. Yes, I can do it or no, I can't. So that that, that day when you call and say, hey man, all hell's done broke loose. I'm not going to make this delivery appointment. That person's going to know, okay, well, he's not feeding me a, a line of crap uh, because I, I know this person's character. 
I know that they're not going to lie to me. They're not going to feed me a line of crap just because they want to sit in a truck stop and play Angry Birds on their phone. Um, a good driver respects others' property. This means your trash goes in a trash bag and into a trash receptacle. This means you don't get out of your truck and start pissing between the the cab so that the the parking lot smells like urine 24 hours a day. Um, you respect the truck because that's someone's property. Um, you know, oh, it's a corporation. They don't. You know, they got plenty of money. No, they don't. If you're working for one of these big carriers, they're working on a lot smaller margins than what we are. You know, as a as a five or six truck operation, least a Landstar. We've got great, much greater margins than Schneider and that. But they they have so much equipment to spread it across. Um, it's absolutely unacceptable for drivers to be destroying equipment. Um, I'm sure everybody's seen the video of that USA truck driver from years ago that goes up to a a low. I guess it was a low railroad crossing. Now there's a road off to the left. He could just back up and and turn around, but he's trying to U-turn and destroys that truck, rips the, the air deflectors off the back of it, rips the, the bumper off. Unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Um, respecting others' property, like Walmart. You want to park at Walmart? That's fine. Go ask permission, because you don't own that place. Um, respecting the truck stop pop property. Um, not throwing your trash over the hill. Because you're too lazy to take it to a proper receptacle. So understand, I'm not saying that anybody that holds a CDL is worth $75,000. Because some of them ain't worth $75, period. Um, but the reason that I chose that number of $75,000, a truck, and I don't care who owns it, a truck should make a minimum, absolute minimum, of $150,000 to $200,000 a year in gross revenue. Minimum. I mean, unless, caveat, like I'm, I did one fifty four dollars in 2015, but I only ran 85,000 miles because I was doing dedicated, so I was low mileage. So, you know, if you took that and and moved it up to, you know, 120, 130,000 miles a year. But if you're earning a, a percentage, and that's why I love percentage so much, because it ties a driver to the market. Too many times drivers have this attitude that the axis of the universe runs through the top of their precious little head, that they're the most important thing in this industry. I'm not going to disagree that, that drivers are important. They are. They're not the most important. The most important element that we have in this industry is our customers. They pay the bills. They pay the carriers. The carriers pay us. So if you look at the carrier as your customer, of someone that you're providing a service to, then you can start to visualize yourself as almost like a contractor 
you know, you, you have labor to sell, and in, in exchange for that labor, you're going to get a piece of the action. So I don't think it's unreasonable for a driver to make 25 or 30% of what the truck makes. Well, if you understand what the trucks should make, which in this economy is three or $400,000 if they're hustling. I mean, it, this, this truck's on track to do, I don't know, 310000 in total gross revenue in a year. Um, and and it's, granted, it's a hot market, super hot market. And, and even now, I'm really, you know, my, my money's down a little bit because I'm doing this dedicated thing, so there's not as much activity involved. Um, but, I mean, uh, $10,000 a week, that's what I've been averaging. So 25% of that's 2500 and there's been a lot of weeks that I've done, you know, nineteen hundred to twenty-four hundred dollars in gross rev or gross income for myself because I've been running a truck hard. So that means that in the down market, we're down at that seventy-five thousand dollar range. But you're not going to get it if you're not one worth it. You don't have the experience. Um, the attitude, the mindset, um, you know, you you have to be worth your percentage, you know, because whether we like it or not, you know, fuel, for example, it's fuel. I mean, we don't, a lot of us don't like what we have to pay for fuel. But you're going to pay for fuel. It's a percentage of what it costs to operate a truck. Tires, maintenance, tolls, taxes. All of these things are, are required and necessary in order to operate a truck. So as drivers, I don't believe that we need to you know, stick our nose up in the air and tell everybody how you know, important we are but we do need to get what we're worth. And I'm sorry, thirty-five dollars to $60,000 over the road is not worth it. it. It's just, it's absolutely not worth it. But you are the only person that can determine what your value is. Nobody else can tell you that. Some people can offer you and say, well, here, here's thirty-five grand. Go drive a truck for a year. That's how I mean I go drive a truck for six months for thirty five, but I'm not gonna drive a truck for a year for thirty five thousand. I'm not gonna drive a truck for a year for seventy five thousand. My experience, my knowledge, my mindset, my ability is completely tied to what I can what I can earn, but I have to be worth it. So my boss knows. I'm going to take care of the truck. I'm going to take care of business. I'm going to take care of the customers. He does not have to worry about me. Now, we, he and I do kind of have a disagreement about whether or not, you know, like if we were, I was looking to hire a driver if I get back to owning a truck, and he's like, well, you just don't understand. Nobody's going to run like you do. I think there's a lot of people that will run like I do, and I don't run illegal. You know, I don't run out of hours. I don't even, I don't, I don't even hardly get to my 70. 
but I do pick them up and put them down. You know, five loads a week, um, and I don't, I don't, you know, I get my ten hour break and I'm, I'm rolling. Um, but I do that out of necessity because I, I want and need the money. But, you know, Kevin Rutherford said one time that 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 shippers don't set rates, carriers set rates. And I scratched my head and I'm like, wait a minute, what's he talking about? What he's talking about is you set your rate. I decide what I'm going to run for. Now, I can't go out and say, all right, $25 a mile, $4 million a year. Well, that's not going to work. But I can set myself up. You know, every decision leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. I can set myself up to be in a position down the road. So if you're a company driver right now and you're making 35, 40 cents a mile, 45 cents a mile, um, in my opinion, if you if you have these qualities, okay, safe, courteous, patient, understand your equipment, your pre-trip, you respect your customers, your yes is yes, your no is no, you respect the other's property, you understand the market that you're operating in, or you are willing to learn then I think you're underpaid. But you're going to have to decide, okay, what's the next step for me? Is the next step for me finding a different carrier, finding a small local carrier? Uh, do I need to learn a new skill set? Do, you know, uh, do I need specialized vans, specialized flatbed, some type of tanker job? What do I need to do to set myself up to be ready for that next thing, do you have all the endorsements on your license? That's easy. Go, you know, go take the test, get all the endorsements you can, get all your hazmat, your tanker, your doubles and triples, passenger, whatever. Um, and you know, and say you want to drive a tank. You know, I live in West Virginia, and it's tanks and coal buckets. Um, I just, I, just, I just haven't decided to go down the tank road yet. Uh, but if I did that, I'm going to have to get some tank experience. So I'm, there may be a, you know, a, a gap that I need to cover and say, okay, well, I need to go somewhere and learn tanker. Um, find somebody that will train me, and then now I've got that second set of experience. Or, or go somewhere and, you know, do specialized uh, blanket wrap in vans. Well, that gets you household goods. That gets you trade shows. That, that gets you can broaden your horizon so much that makes it to where you become more valuable but if you're just going to keep dragging a box around and you're not going to learn anything and you're not going to ask questions about how the business works and how rates work and how lanes work and and you know how how customers move their stuff around and and, and how the market's evolving and changing then you're going to keep making half of what you're worth. So uh, I'm going to shut her down on that one. Um, if y'all would, uh, I'd really appreciate some ratings on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, however, whatever podcatcher uh, that you're using to consume uh, the podcast. Uh, some ratings would really help. Um, and also, obviously, sharing the live video um, and the uh, and the podcast. Um, so go on over to the website www.anamericantruckdriver.com and um, 
you know go through the list I'm going to I'm also working on updating the website uh, to go with the patreon but I want to get some some other stuff going there so uh, please send me comments and questions at American truck driver gmail.com don't send messages to the Facebook page I mean you can if you want to but just understand that Facebook sucks at notifying me when I get a message through Facebook Messenger and if you send an email it goes straight to my phone instantly and I oh there's an email but the stupid Facebook Messenger thing is just a nightmare um, so definitely email me don't I need to turn that message thing off I think you can on a Facebook page because it's just such a waste of time but anyway uh, That'll be it for this episode, and uh, we'll see you next time.